The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop cursing in foreign languages and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 198, recorded live at DevReach Bulgaria 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just flew in from Bulgaria, and boy are his arms... Yeah, never mind. Carl Franklin! Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin. You're listening to .NET Rocks. This is our live from Bulgaria show. Richard is here. Hi, Richard. Hey, I'm here. I'm happy. And uh, we're actually going to roll the uh, roll the show in just a second. But before we do that, we have a few announcements and some emails. Uh, we got a couple of we had a lot of great email this week. Yeah, Jonathan Zuck. You know, I always worry when we do te- what is in theory not a technical show, right? And that we're really addressing or not. But the reaction we got from John Zuck's show talking about the politics of software was really strong. Yep. And interestingly enough, a lot of the email came from Europe where we were because we were largely talking about the EU. Right. Uh, let me read you one. I've uh, got this email here from Kent Bugart. Okay. Uh, Hi, Carl and Richard. Thanks so much for your work on DNR and elsewhere in the .NET community. I hope you guys realize how much of a positive difference you make. It just wouldn't be the same without you. Oh, <laughs> That was pretty sweet, actually. Very nice. Listening to Jonathan Zuck this week was very interesting. I agreed with a lot of what he said, but I must disagree with his stand on patents. I think the patents benefit the individual at the expense of the whole. This is similar to the economic price floors and ceilings. They benefit the individual at the expense of the economy as a whole. I think patents promote laziness for two reasons. Patent holders do not have to rush to bring their idea to fruition. They can effectively take their time, which is detrimental to the community at large. Individuals or companies can take patents with no intention of bringing the idea to fruition. Instead, they can sit back and wait for someone else to do the hard work and then sue them. Again, this hurts the community at large thanks to lengthy court procedures and a wastage of taxpayers' money. I believe the best 
man slash woman should win and best means bringing the idea to fruition not just having it having a great idea is only part of the puzzle suppose two people have the same idea at the same time the community at large should benefit by getting their hands on the product sooner it shouldn't be the case of first of the patent office wins just my two cents and i don't really know what i'm talking about so take it with a grain of salt keep up the great work guys <laughs> Cheers, Ken Bugart. Well, that's a very interesting. We could talk. We could do a whole show just on that. I know you have a lot to say. Well, on it, but sure. As a guy who's busy filing patents, yeah, I definitely have a, a position on all of that. He does have a good point. I, I, I mean, you know, the whole idea of patents is it's an incentive to the people to innovate, and it brings forth innovation a lot sooner. And I don't think it, you you can be lazy if you want to, but the whole idea is that. You, you want to get it as soon as possible because it's an incentive. And just because someone has a patent doesn't mean that nobody else can work on it. They could certainly build it. And then there has to be a deal made. If someone infringes on a patent, generally speaking, suing over patents doesn't benefit anybody in the no. end. It's, it's kind of grim. I call it, you know, who won the earthquake? Right, right, right. Everybody loses, but there does have to be a negotiation at some point. And actually, if you get in front of a law of a, a judge talking about stuff like this, they tend to favor the innovator, the people doing the work. So there's always an opportunity to make those sorts of things work. I don't think it's a detriment. Um, that being said, you know, the reason I'm filing patents is that my investors in Strange Loop expect it. They expect us to go to the effort to protect our ideas. Yeah. Uh, I got an email here from Patrick Bess in the Netherlands. Hi, Carl and Richard. I always listen to your shows and I love them. I'm always looking forward to new shows to get me through a day of debugging horrible code. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not his own. Yes. Uh, nobody's code is hard. Nobody would say it's my horrible code. It just doesn't happen. Anyway, you asked in your last show to react on the topic of the European Union versus Microsoft from a European standpoint that we did. The European Competition Commissioner is Miss Neely Smith-Crows. She is just like me from the Netherlands. Before she became the European Competition Commissioner, she was a Minister of Traffic in the Netherlands. <laughs> traffic as in... Automobile traffic. Automobile traffic. Let me tell you a little bit about the IT skills of the Dutch politicians. I heard Jonathan Zuck describe a U.S. politician which could not pronounce login... But our former prime minister, uh, Wimcock, did not know what a mouse was. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago, he had pres a presentation to attend where he had to use a mouse to open some sort of government IT project for children. He uh, picked up the mouse and tried to use it as a remote control. Nice. <laughs> a five-year-old girl had to explain to him how a mouse worked. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be embarrassing. Oh, I long thought that Wimcock was the politician with the worst IT knowledge ever, but I now think that Miss Neely Smith-Crows is even worse. I can only describe her decisions as uninformed, unnecessary, and hypocritical. She made the decision to remove Media Player from Windows XP to protect the European market, but I do not know any European-developed Media Player. And if there was a European initiative, which is better than Windows Media Player, I pro I'd probably use it anyway, regardless if I own a Windows XP, including Windows Media Player. The strange thing is that we all have the feeling that the EU came to this decision based on the lobby of Real Media, which is a U.S.-based company. Well, that's absolutely true. It was Real Media who brought the complaint in the first place. I personally came to the conclusion that all these things have nothing to do with protecting markets, but it's just an ordinary case of uh, source of income for the EU. Yeah. 
That's a point there. As a citizen of the Netherlands, I would like to apologize for the past, present, and future incidents involving Dutch politicians and IT decisions. Wow. <laughs> it's quite an apology. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Patrick Best. We're not holding it against you, man. Honest. It's we know your, it's not you. It's not your fault, man. <laughs> it's okay. Come in off the ledge, okay, Patrick? It's not <laughs> worth it. All right, and we're also going to uh, uh, got a few announcements here. Of course, the .NET 3.0 2006 Roadshow is coming to a city near you this October. There is simply no substitute for being trained by the world's leading experts in any subject. The same holds true for .NET 3.0 Framework. Three powerhouse speakers, Yuval Lowy, Michelle Rubustamante, and Brian Noyes, go on a multi-city roadshow in October for Dr. Dobbs Journal. They offer profound insight on the technology and its applications with material that goes well beyond anything that can be found using conventional training sources, often presenting original techniques and breakthroughs. In addition to the frontal presentations, they use numerous conceptual demos and original tools and utilities. The demos are useful not only in the seminar, but afterwards, serving as a starting point for new projects and as a rich reference and samples resource. This is one roadshow you don't want to miss. Register today with the promotional code 6RBLOG, 6RBLOG, and save $200. Go to www.net3roadshow.com. That brings us to the Barcelona contest. That's right. The .NET Rocks Tech Ed Barcelona sweepstakes. And if you haven't been paying attention, you could win a trip to Barcelona, Spain, airfare, hotel, and admission to Tech Ed Developer Europe in Barcelona, Spain, November 7th through 10th. You can read about the Tech Ed show at shrinkster.com slash HHH. And uh, this is November. It's coming right up here, but you could still win. Yes, in fact, this is the second-to-last drawing. Next week, we draw one more, and then the big grand prize winner. What we've been doing is you go to our site at uh, shrinkster.com, H-H-I, or .netrocks.com slash Barcelona, and you answer a few questions. You answer a question from this week's show, uh, which you're listening to right now, and you can basically win... Uh, next week, if we draw your name right from all the people who had the answer right, you will win a piece of swag from our useless crap store, and you'll be in the running to win the ticket to Tech Ed Developer in Barcelona. So last week's question, Richard, do you remember what it was? Uh, remind me. It was, what word did the Department of Justice's hired gun mispronounce while reading an internal Microsoft email out loud Oh, at a hearing. I, I remember this. The word was Logan. Logan, yeah. We just <laughs> made a reference to it, actually, in that yes. email. Uh, login, the guy said Logan. <laughs> just in case you weren't sure that he had no idea what he was reading. And we had most everybody who answered got this right. And uh, we chose a winner at random. And the winner is Pavel Kluck from the Czech Republic. Woohoo! Pavel, congratulations. We'll be sending you an email. You get to pick out your favorite piece of swag. And uh, there you and go. And he's now entered into the big contest. Next week is the drawing. And we're coming up on our 200th show here in a couple weeks. Yes, sir. You're not going to want to miss that. No, I know I'm not. I have to fly all the way to Connecticut for it. Yes, that's right, Richard. Uh, uh, we're not even going to say who's going to be on the show, are we? I guess we should. Okay. It's going to be... Uh, Richard, myself, Mark Dunn, Rory Blythe, and Mark Miller. Wow. 
That yeah. should be unruly. It's going to be out of hand. <laughs> and, we're, and, it, and we're all going to be here in the studio together. Yes. They're all coming here. So you don't want to miss that. Okay, now on to the show in Bulgaria. What we did is we recorded a uh, live Q&A session with the panel of speakers. And uh, that is the majority of the show. And then we also have a few spot interviews with uh, the locals in Bulgaria. So here we go. Welcome to .NET Rocks Bulgaria. Richard and I are here at DevReach in Sofia, Bulgaria. Here we are. And at the last minute, everything just came together. And we're, we're, we have a panel of speakers here. Uh, I'm going to ask that you just introduce yourself and pass the microphone down. Starting at the far end. Starting at the far Mr. end. Forte. At the far end of the table. Hi, I'm Stephen Forte from New York. Hey, I'm Angus Logan from Australia. I'm Julie Lerman from the U.S., I'm Kathy Giroux from Washington State. I'm Ted New... Whoa. Wow, that's loud. I'm Ted from Seattle. I should make a more bass voice than Ted. I'm Gökshin from Istanbul. Okay, well, I'm, I'm Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're just going to start talking, and we, we understand a few things about Bulgarian culture. See, in the United States, this means no. Shaking side to side. And this means yes. So we've already been prepped. We know what to look out for. But, 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 but if, Carl, if you want to, what? They, were, they did it backwards in my session. Everybody was trying to be very helpful. And oh. They were nodding yes, and I was going, does that mean no? And they said, no, it means yes. <laughs> no. Yes means no. No means yes. Yes means no. But, but I'm, I'm still not sure. In, in Bulgaria, what does this mean? Because I got this a lot in my session. I, I, I'm not familiar with that. That's going to work real well on a radio show. Yeah, well, that's why I did that. Ted just Carl. flipped off the audience. Uh, so, so other thing we know is that sometimes it takes a couple of questions before you get warmed up. Uh, we have a microphone for questions. Yes, yeah, so there's a microphone on the floor. So if you on just put floor. up your hand, that mic will come to you so we can get your question uh, clearly heard. Now, just as a, just as a warm-up, Right, I, I've done many panels, and there is one particular protocol element that's that's common to all panels. The guy with the mic, the reason he got that job is because he's the lowest man on the totem pole. Right, he has the least seniority. Because when you ask a question, you have to do it from the opposite side of the room where he's standing. <laughs> so the first question has to come from over here on the right, and then the next one has to come from over here on the left. This is because his girlfriend called us and said he needs exercise. <laughs> okay, so it's got to come from this side of the room. Well, let's just throw out a topic. Ted, why don't you pick the first topic? It's something that's been on your mind. What do you want to talk about today? Um, what do I want to talk about today? I don't know that anybody else wants to talk about it, but I'm curious as to uh, programming languages. Programming languages. I'm curious about uh, what people think the next big programming language will be, what it will look like. Perhaps Ruby. Ruby, Ruby-esque features, Ruby's all of that kinds of, of stuff. Yeah, I don't know what the the rest of the folks look like. Gokshin, you want to jump in, or are you trying to avoid well, this one? What do one? you think? First of all, I actually want to uh, talk about what am I going to do tonight? Ah. 
I've been speaking all day, so I believe I deserve some partying tonight, right? Okay, well, if, if, if that was an attempt to pick me up, um, I'm flattered, man, but, but you know, I'm taken. I, 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 otherwise, otherwise, you and me, buddy. So, Somebody Ted, what quick. what do you think about Ruby? <laughs> you know... This came up during the, 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 the first presentation that Kathy and I were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about Ruby, and my understanding is Ruby hasn't really reached the, uh, the Bulgarian shores yet. Um, They're still think, listening to Duran Duran here, by the way. Are they? Okay. They're touring, actually. Uh, Duran Duran awesome. is touring. Awesome. They're touring. Okay. Wow. Yeah, well. That, that, I remember listening to them in the 80s. Hopefully, yes. Ruby doesn't take quite that long to reach Bulgaria. <laughs> Um, I, I think in general there's a lot of really good, you know, dynamic language elements in Ruby, but in some respects I kind of feel bad for all the old VB programmers, because for years they were doing the same kinds of things that Ruby does, and, and all of us in the C++ world, we laughed at them. Yeah. We, we, we called them like, you know, sissy boy names and and stuff like that. I I don't have a problem with being called a sissy boy name. Uh, I'm glad you you don't have a problem with that, Julie. Well, what you're saying is unless you have strict type checking and all this stuff that the compiler has to know. Well, that was was the the perception, right? That that strictly strictly typed languages were better, safer, you know, faster, whatever, than dynamically checked languages. And, And, you know, now we're coming around and saying, yes, but dynamically checked languages, you know, are more productive, than statically typed well, languages. It, and, I, and I think back to uh, ASP and the original dot-com boom. It was about getting code out the door fast. Right. Not about actually ever maintaining it successfully. Right. Because, you know, in two years, we'll all be vested and we can leave the company and right. we don't care about the well, code anymore. worked great in 1999. Right. The thing that's different, and I've really come to think this is the crucial point of, of why, you know, Ruby is so uh, exciting, is that now we have test-driven development. And if we didn't have tests to do to take the role that the compiler takes in doing all the checking to make sure that the code is right, we'd just be coding with variants all over again. And and interestingly enough, the guys who are pushing Ruby, right? One of the things are that also test well, they're driven. they're very test driven. But one of the guys that that I, I talk with, you know, do these panels with routinely, has a great quote that he loves to toss off. He says, "In five years, we will look at the compiler." as a weak form of unit testing. Yeah. And I agree with that up until a point. The problem that I have with unit testing as a approach is that it requires developer discipline. And as a rule, developers are not very disciplined. Right. Well, and I get nervous about, you know, the compiler at least always runs. And it right. always writes and runs the same tests. Developers might not. And that's the part that concerns me. Well, and this always seems to be the trade. We either have a strictly typed, strictly enforced language that doesn't let you do anything wrong, or we have a loosely typed, loosely restricted language that depends on discipline and methodology to make reliable code. This is exactly the thing that I talked to Scott Hanselman on Hanselman. It's about when we talked about dynamic languages, and that is... You know, the lure of Ruby is quick, fast, boom, 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 you know, change objects, change everything, don't worry about it. And, you know, without the tests, it's mm-hmm. just like VB all over again, you know, right. without the tests. Richard and I are here in the Speaker's Lounge with the Regional Director for uh, Bulgaria, Vladimir Chalkov. Hi, Vlad. Hi. How you doing? 
So you were here at the conference uh, giving a talk and providing all the great community spirit that us RDs are known for? Yeah, just for the last for the last three or four years, I'm, I have a lot of talks here in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. And just Martin invited me for the conference and... I was very happy to accept. Are you are you normally involved with the local user group here? Yes. So for the last year, we are, we are managing the Sofia.net user group, which is a user group local for Sofia. Mm-hmm. So we try to, to, to have regular meeting. It's a little bit difficult, but we are trying to, to maintain it correctly. Is that an Aneta group? Aneta? Yes. We are registered in Aneta. Cool. Excellent. So, what is the what's the development atmosphere like in in Sofia? Well, it's a little bit different than in Western Europe because usually most of the developers here are getting very excited about new technologies and they're actually using them. Yes. So when when we have conferences about uh, and we talk about new technologies, uh, for example, a couple of years ago we talked about .NET. Now we talk about uh, .NET 3.0, Windows Workflow, etc. Mm. And most of the guys are actually trying to use these technologies and they're asking for more, they're asking for samples, they, they're trying to do uh, real applications even on the, on the beta tool. Yeah. And uh, when there is a new version of the operating system, usually a lot of people immediately migrate to it. That's interesting. I, I wouldn't expect uh, a relatively small country and not a huge technical player. I mean, there's more technical people here than I expected to be that avant-garde, always wanting to try the new things. What do you attribute that to? Well, frankly speaking, I don't know. I mean, we, we were famous and we're still famous that we have... Uh, qualified IT specialist, so probably everybody's trying to maintain its level and keep up with the new technologies. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we must say that uh, most of the prices of the, of the software, the licensing, are too high for a person to buy. So usually uh, the people that are involved in Microsoft technologies working for Microsoft partners so that they, they, they don't have any issues with, with licensing and Right, like they have those universal licenses so they have access to everything. To everything, yeah, right. except games. Uh, Which always, is sad. There's all those games. <laughs> what uh, what do you do when you're not being an RD? Uh, since the beginning of 2004, I have my own company, and I'm trying to develop it. So we are now consulting? 12 people and growing. Yeah, it's it's uh, high-level development consulting. So usually mm-hmm. we provide technical project management services, solution architecture services. So we, we, try, we try to maintain a high level. So we try to be a little bit different from the rest of the software companies, because in Bulgaria yeah. there are maybe thousands of software companies, small mm. companies, one to five uh, developers that work for abroad or work for the local market. Mm. So I'll just try to be a little different. And how long have you been uh, in RD? Uh, this is my third year. Oh, great. Have you yeah. ever been to any of the official RD meetings out in Redmond? Yeah, just 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 once on one of the TechHeads, not in Redmond. Yeah. I think it was TechHead. In Amsterdam, yeah. so there was an official meeting. Eileen <laughs> was still uh, managing the program. So Right. Well, and, and we haven't talked about this, but Eileen played a role in this conference as well. Yes, she did. She and Stephen Forte actually got a lot of uh, stuff going. That's right. And, and so she may not be the RD mom anymore, but we still love her. Yeah, and she's still definitely. helping us. <laughs> Thank you, Eileen. What did you talk about here uh, at the conference? What were your talks yeah, on? Yeah, um, I, I have the last, the last presentation in the SQL track, and I'm going to talk about high availability in SQL 2005, but for developers. So That's great. Among my favorite topics. So yeah. what are you going into? 
Uh, I, I, I'm not going to cover into deep details the actual technologies, but I'm going to talk about what are the issues when developers start to use these technologies because I had a couple of reviews this year and usually everybody blames the technology, but, you, but just the developers are not using it appropriately. So I'm going to talk about typical mistakes that developers make when they create high availability applications. Uh, I get it, right. Because the, the interesting thing about clustering is that it doesn't guarantee that every transaction is going to succeed. You still have to recover from that swap over transaction. Yeah, that's an important point in my presentation. I'm going to talk about the recovery process, the undo and redo, and uh, right. how this is improved in SQL 2005 and how this is mitigated in with database mirroring. So yeah. it's going to be an interesting presentation. Uh, Vlad, uh, how can people get in touch with you here? Oh, that's a good point. Most of the people know me in person, so they have my, yeah. my contacts, but uh, I guess by email is the easiest way. Okay. Do you want to give out your email address? Or yeah, it's a little bit address? difficult. So it's, uh, we'll uh, put a link to it on the website then. Okay, so it's uh, V-T-C-H-A-L-K-O-V, Vichalkov at crossroad.bg. Very good. Great. Good to talk to you. Okay. Thank Thanks, you. Vlad. What do you guys think? Does, does anybody have an opinion about uh, dynamic languages in general uh, versus strict type checking? Raise your hand. We'll come around with a microphone. Um, all right, that take them out. Yeah, okay, don't all jump at once. <laughs> do you guys want to do a Dynamic Languages 101? Sure, that would be a great idea. To, obviously, this is a new topic. Okay, so. Um, so we'll start with a quick poll. How many of you have heard of Ruby before? Or any Dynamic Language. Yeah, so how many of you have written JavaScript? There okay. you go. Everybody's hand. JavaScript Everybody's hand. is actually a dynamic language in the same sense that Ruby is, in the sense that you know there there's no real sense of type checking or or uh, a, a real strong type system there. I can assign strings to variables. Variables are completely untyped. You know, integers, floating points. It's all just you know an object as far as JavaScript is concerned. So we now we used to call that crappy language, right. now we call it dynamic language. Right, right. <laughs> so it's better. Well, we used to call them tyrants, now we call them republicans. You oh. see, time changes. <laughs> that was for you, Stephen. And, and we're in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yes, nice. well. Anyway, the thing about JavaScript, right, is that it's actually, and similar to Ruby, is that it's not even a class-based language. Hmm. So right. when I create an object in JavaScript, I'm actually saying take an existing object and create a clone of that, and then I can add methods, I can add fields, I can change methods and so forth on the fly, which is actually very, very powerful. It can also be somewhat dangerous, obviously, but Certainly. it's very, very powerful. So did everybody get that? You can change objects on the fly, not just a, a, like a class, but he's adding methods, changing methods, doing all this stuff while you have the object live in memory, and that's, that's one of the key aspects of this dynamic language stuff. Another one is that types just sort of vaporize. Right. And uh, sort of the back, this is why we were comparing it to VB in the old days of variants, uh, which, which are evil because they don't, there is no checking. Um, now, you, underlying the, the, call, the, the, the code that's receiving the call knows what type to expect, uh, but the code that you pass, the object that you pass it you know, it doesn't matter what that object is. So there's no compiler that's going to step in and say, you know, whoa, this isn't the right type. 
And the really ironic thing about this is this is actually a grand old tradition because yeah. you know one of the first object languages that, that we hold in, in great esteem and great reverence in many respects is small talk. Right. And small talk was dynamically typed. Yep. Not not even close to what we see, you know, C and, and C sharp and Java. They're they're very different from small talk in that respect. Come on, somebody ask a question. Okay, there we, we go. We have a question from the there audience here. Here comes the microphone. Hi, my name is Jordan Dimitrov, and I have one question about uh, Ruby and Python. What makes Ruby better than Python and Iron Python, uh, except uh, Ruby on Rails? Because uh, everything about Ruby is about Ruby on Rails, the, this framework. And you bring up a very valid point, which is Ruby's been around for quite a while and nobody was wildly interested in it until Rails came along and really gave it an infrastructure around it. I think Python's got an awful lot of legs, more uses in, in, as a language. It's really like Perl unconfused. <laughs> well, I don't know if anything could unconfuse Perl, but... Perl definitely you know, sits at the top of the stack of write-only languages. Yes, yes, absolutely. You can code it, you could never do anything with it again. I mean, realistically speaking, there's, there's probably two things that differentiate Ruby from Python. One being Rails, as you pointed out. And there's really nothing that's incredibly exciting in terms of new and different about Rails, except they brought together a couple of interesting ideas like convention over configuration, and the second part... Which is what? Well, convention over configuration says, you know, for example, right now in the .NET framework, um, if I want to configure a new handler, if I want to configure uh, various elements of a particular page or whatnot, I go into the web.config and I, and I lay all that stuff out, right? In Rails, they, they basically make a number of assumptions, Right? And as long as those assumptions hold true, you don't need to ever write any sort of configuration file. Mm. If you ever want to change one of those assumptions, right? if you ever want to change the idea that, that this page um, references a particular model type right? and the naming conventions hold, if you ever wanted to change that, for example, you would write a config file to change it, but otherwise you just leave it as is. Um, you know, a lot of those kinds of things, you know, the, 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 the persistence mechanism for accessing a database, mm. right, it understands plurals, right? So if your class is named persons, it looks for a table called person, right? Yeah, they, they, I guess that's the strength of Rails is an awful lot of assumptions. Right. Figuring out, well, if you said this, you mean this. Right. You, know, you said person, so there must be a person somewhere. Exactly. Here's something for the audience. Do you ever find yourself uh, saying, gee, I wish my language could do this? Um, you know, you come to a point where you run up against something that you just wish it could do. Anyone? <laughs> no, that wasn't a question. He was answering the poll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and that's one of the advantages, right? I know where you're going with that. That's one of the advantages of Ruby is that, as, a, as, as with many dynamic languages, but Ruby in particular, this is its other great strength is, hey, if the Ruby language currently doesn't do something, the whole field is open, right? If you want to add a new method to object, the equivalent of system.object in Ruby, go right ahead. If you want to add new methods to kernel, which is a mix-in that most classes use, go right ahead. Right? Ruby has this principle of what are called open classes. A class is never finished. 
So kind of like partial classes in .NET, I can define this in multiple source files. Ruby, you can just keep adding stuff to a class indefinitely, as long as you want. So what was your, uh, what was this thing you were? Uh, just uh, yeah. when you want to have a base interface uh, and you have multiple objects, different objects, and you don't have to implement this specific interface and you want to execute method with same name, you can do this in Ruby, but you can do this in C Sharp. Yeah. Okay. And there, there are certain language constructs that are going to show up in all of these languages. And, you know, I mean, we're going to see some overlap between Ruby and Python. We're going to see some overlap between Ruby and C Sharp and so forth. And that's okay. I mean, that's good. And we're going to see, I think, C Sharp and, and Visual Basic and all these other mainstream languages, they're going to take hints from Ruby and they're going to say, we're going to take this, this functionality and extend it and run with it and, you know, basically try to get some of the Ruby goodness into the other mainstream languages. Another buddy of mine has a, has a quote he likes to use on panels that says, I don't know what the next big language will be, but it will be influenced by Ruby. And I believe that very strongly. We have a question from the audience. Okay, my name is Daniel Vladinov, and my question is still uh, in this topic about programming languages, but in the other way around. Let's say not technology uh, background, but financial backgrounds. Imagine I am just a newbie developer here in Bulgaria, and I want to choose which technology trend to take, so whether it's Microsoft or Java or Ruby even. So what would be your advice? If I want to become highly paid enterprise developer doing, let's say, enterprise services and uh, such uh, new nice things. Yeah, as Julie says, I think we're supposed to say Microsoft, uh, C Sharp, VBNet, pick one. Yeah. There's this new language that I'm working on. It's great. <laughs> Coming in six months. <laughs> Well, so, it's interesting that you said that because the next version of C Sharp and VB will have some of these dynamic features. Link is all about being dynamic. And uh, Angus, did you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, I think uh, one core thing about if you select a technology that you want to focus in is making sure that there's support around for it. Yeah. For example, with .NET, if you have an exception, you go to live.com to search for it, and you can find that exception in, in a group. Anybody spot the blue badge on the panel? Who works for Microsoft on this panel? So, I mean, if you are going to select a technology that you want to focus in for your career, then you need to make sure that there's support around there. Otherwise, you're going to be going off into a niche technology where you're pioneering instead of... Well, I don't know well, that much yeah, about Ruby. Ruby is definitely a niche language right now, but uh, a lot of very smart, very uh, vocal people are, are getting behind it. Well, and its niche is building data-driven websites fast. That's a pretty good niche to be in. Right. When you're talking Ruby on Rails, which we mentioned as Rails before, it's called Ruby on Rails, and really this is a package for very quick uh, development of websites using the Ruby language. I, I just I want to make that clear. Go ahead, I also want to address the question insofar as, let's say you choose Java. Java is a language and it's also a platform, but it's a platform built on top of one language. The .NET framework is a platform, and C Sharp, VB, and everything else are languages built on top of that particular framework. So 
Languages eventually do come and go, hence the conversation about Ruby. Mm. But platforms usually stick around for a long period of time. So that's one of the reasons why I chose .NET. It's a, it's a platform built around multiple languages where there's multiple disciplines. And you know, as you see, there's a Python plugin for .NET. And you can run Python and CLR and Ruby and everything else. So as opposed to Java, you're, tight, you're tightly coupled to that one platform and one that, language. One now, Ted, Ted. <laughs> Ted, you spoke enough today, and you're a Democrat. Ted, so. Ted Neward, by the way, um, on this panel probably has the most Java experience. Maybe I w w should. Is that right? I, I would say that's pretty safe. On this panel? You, yeah. you can tell because so, he's got the long hair. Yeah. <laughs> I heard he also so he uses plays, Google. You know, he plays both sides of the fence. And Correct I know that, me if I'm wrong, though, Ted. And there are other people that I've interviewed, like Venkat Subramaniam, who have who have gone through the whole Java thing and then realized that .NET is the superior platform. I'm not actually not even arguing that .NET is a superior platform. All I'm arguing is that there's more languages built around it, that if for some reason you don't like Java or if the Java language changes in a way you don't like it, you're stuck with that platform because there's only one language on top of that platform. With .NET, there's many languages on .NET top of the platform. .NET has generics, for example. Yeah. .NET Rocks is supported by sponsors and advertisers. It's the only way that we can bring this show to you every week. And one of those advertisers is Data Dynamics. They make a product called ActiveReports.net and lots of other great products. Uh, simple, effective, powerful reporting, very easy drop the reports onto your forms and ship them with your product. And uh, they're online at www.datadynamics.com. Uh, you, we're not going to be able to get away from Java without at least letting Ted say something. <laughs> he will at some point explode. Well, there's, there's, there's elements of truth to what you say, Stephen, and there's elements of I'm not sure if you're aware of. If you Google, I'm going to assume you just none. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you search.msn.com for languages java vm you will be taken to a page where there are last count somewhere between 150 and 200 different languages around the java virtual machine any of now, these languages we would have heard of besides java um well let's see prolog um there's just as many yeah, on the i understand that I, I recognize that but i have a lot of gray in my beard well let's see languages you would recognize so for example jruby so, I mean, there is an incarnation which run, of Ruby. Which runs Rails, by the way. Right. They announced this at Java 1, and Sun, about a week later, hired the guys who wrote JRuby. So just like there's an incarnation of Ruby that runs under the .NET framework, there's an incarnation Which is still very early. That yeah. incarnation is right. very early. There is early. an incarnation of Ruby that runs under the, J, uh, the, the Java framework. The JVM, right. Yeah. There's an implementation of JavaScript called Rhino. Actually, there's several different implementations. Um, there's an implementation of Logo. Say, this, there's a bunch of really smart people running out there without good ideas, and so they're writing languages for something to do. <laughs> there's a certain amount of that, sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this list includes, you know, various things that we wouldn't necessarily think about as languages, such as, you know, a, a tool that converts Java bytecode to CIL and back again. And, you know, so it's not, it's not a, com I you can't know, say that there are 150 languages for the JVM. But there are definitely some interesting languages from that page 
that are interesting, like Scheme, like Lisp, um, like Prolog, like Smalltalk implementations, et cetera, et cetera, that run on the JVM. I, the one I, thing that is true that I do want to highlight that Stephen... Lisp is interesting. Lisp is, hey, dude, it worked for the Mars rover. Um, the one thing that is true that Stephen did nail um, is that Sun has historically only seen there as being one language for the Java platform, yes. and that, of course, is the Java language. And they have, they have actively resisted the idea of any other languages on top of the VM until very recently. Like this year, they have started to talk about multiple languages on the JVM. And that is due, I think, directly to the fact that the .NET framework has embraced this multi-language perspective from the very beginning. And I think Sun is finally, you know, wising up or else going broke. It could be both. I gotta and amplify Richard's, uh, comment here. It seems that a lot of these languages, you know, everybody needs a comp sci final project, you know? I know. So I'll seems, write a language. Yeah, it oh seems boy. like that there's well, a lot that's, of this. That's part of the reason why Microsoft created Rotor in the first place, yeah. to enable that same kind of research and innovation on the .NET platform, because there's some very interesting ideas that go on out now there. Now let's, uh, does anybody not, anybody know what Rotor Nobody is? Nobody knows what Rotor is. Okay, Rotor. Boy, it's just my turn for the esoteric topic day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A uh, rotor is something we haven't talked about. All I haven't talked about rotor in a couple of years, but it's a uh, open source implementation of the .NET framework used as a uh, Microsoft produced as a learning tool primarily. The license does not allow you to recompile it and to redistribute it, but it's essentially the source to the to the framework, um, and it's a great learning tool. Minus the JIT and the GC. Those are the only two things that they changed from the commercial product. Besides removing a lot of the Microsoft, like the Win32 and yeah, Win32, and stuff. Yeah, so it's the basic stuff. And uh, there are other projects that have started for other platforms. The big one is Mono. Mono? Anybody know what Mono is? Okay. Wow. Yeah, Lots of response All to right. Mono. How about that? Yeah, so Mono is an open source implementation of the .NET framework that is redistributable. And no, they did not use Rotor, so they say. Anyway, okay, but I'm sure they learned from it. So, does any no, of this didn't. answer your question? Well, yes. Define platform. And you bring up a valid point. Yeah, well, the first let's operating system platforms versus development platforms. Which ultimately, if I'm building enterprise applications, I need that. Uh, development platform as well. And in theory, but certainly in the case of the JVM, I can have any operating system platform I want. And in, in .NET, you can have any operating system platform you want as long as it's Windows. <laughs> Windows Mobile? Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, but again, my question was, uh, if I want to become in five years highly paid enterprise developer, whether it's uh, .NET Microsoft technology better choice than Java, and why? I know Java, it is right once the book everywhere, but uh, you should you if, should if learn anybody, quick basic. It worked for me. Yeah. If anybody knew the answer to, to that question, <laughs> if anybody knew the answer to that question, there wouldn't be any talks like this. There would be no competition. <laughs> there will be nothing. You know, the, the the world will be a dull place. So it's it's good that we have it here. And to 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 add it more, like there is no straight answer that if you want to be a Rich, you know, uh, Don't be a running in your rat and doing, you know, 
your fun programming programmer in five years, there is no single answer to that one. Every application that you're going to make is vertical one. You know, they're not the horizontal applications are just ceasing to exist in the world. So, depending on your aim, your target, the, the, the type of application, the platform, the network, the, you know, if it's going to be a global application or just an application inside the office, the, the answer changes a lot. So, unfortunately, you have to do a lot of work in the initial phase to select what kind of tools you're going to choose. So, you better just, you know, get real serious work on the ones that are available to you and then choose uh, those. For example, I have my company and like 10 years ago, we decided, hey, we're going to work on uh, the Microsoft platform. And the reason for that was we got VB to program with and we got C++ that we can just, you know, write some uh, little stuff. Then we got Exchange to send alerts. Then we had SQL coming up, 6.0, you know, like it was out about 6.0, it was like decently coming up product. Then we have project that we can just integrate our MRP stuff. So we just said, like, and we had Office as our, uh, you know, reporting tools and stuff. So we said, but when we get these together, you know, we're going to make good money out of it. When you have 4 billion developers in a cage in Redmond, they, they slide meat under the door every once in a while. <laughs> it's just sort of hard to, you know... To compete with that, I think. 130 of those being Bulgarian as well. Yeah. Hey, all right. So, Java versus .NET, which one's going to make you richer? I'd say pick one and be very good at it, and you'll get rich. Uh, and, and which one is better? I think there are pros and cons of each. The Java world is a little bit more amorphous. So, it, so there is the advantage of that that you'll probably see... Uh, quicker innovation, but then you also risk uh, getting burnt on innovation. With Microsoft, there is a huge advantage of everything coming out of one company and down to the fonts in their documentation matchup. So there's something to be said about, about the fact that QBasic, which was written in, for, for DOS, God knows when, uh, will run in Vista. And, and that in itself is, is a huge commitment from a company that comes from one company. So you should be a QBasic programmer. There you go. See, I told you. Hey, guess what? I'm standing here with Vassal from Telerik. Vassal, how do you pronounce your last name? Terziev. Okay, I won't even say that. But yeah, it's uh, not it's not easy when you're not from uh, you don't come from a Slavic country. <laughs> right. So um, you guys are growing so much that you have to move your offices to a sixteen thousand square foot facility in Sofia, downtown Sofia, which is where we are right now. We're actually on the seventh floor. Uh, it's not done yet. You can hear some construction going on in the background. But we're out on the terrace, and uh, Vasil is showing us around. And uh, wow! And Carl's enjoying the wonderful weather. <laughs> uh, actually, it's it's nice and mild. I kind of like it like this, but it's a little rainy. Sure. Yeah. So tell our audience about Bulgaria, because a lot of our American listeners probably don't know much about it. Yeah. I guess most people know a lot about our products, but they don't know much about the country where we're coming from. Yeah. Well, Bulgaria is a very small country in um, Eastern Europe. Uh, it's uh, situated between Greece, Turkey uh, on, the on the south and Romania on the north. And on the west, we got Serbia. Mm -hmm. And on the east, we got the Black Sea. Mm -hmm. uh, it's eight... 0.5 million people, 
very ancient country. It was uh, established in the year 681. Mm-hmm. Long history. The language is using the Cyrillic alphabet. And yeah. is it, what would you compare it to? Oh, it's very close to uh, Serbian. It's somewhat close to Russian. I mean, mm. Yeah, I we, noticed this da, yes, like Russia? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Pretty much. Yeah. So. We learned some new curse words at dinner last night, oh, but boy. I won't repeat them here. That's, that's what you always <laughs> learn first in any language. Right. And what's the drink that we were drinking that's kind of tequila-like? Rakia. That's grape brandy. Rakia. Grape brandy. Yeah. Uh, we thought it tasted a little like tequila. Well, tequila. Or tequila, as I like to say. I guess, I guess uh, once you drink two or three, it changes your taste, so right. everything starts to feel the same. <laughs> now, you are the main major sponsor besides Microsoft of this event, right? Is this yeah. the first conference that you've really thrown? No, yeah. you've, you've actually sponsored other conferences in the States, well, haven't you? it's one thing sponsoring a conference. It's a very different thing uh, about organizing one, and DevReach is... Uh, a new step for us. Yeah. I'm very happy uh, to see the excitement that people share. Our idea was to do something different and mm. to bring the spirit of uh, tech conferences in the U.S. to Bulgaria. Yeah. Bring in quality lectors, have some real-world sessions, interesting content, yeah. and kind of excite people about Microsoft technologies, the Microsoft roadmap, now, is there user user groups here? Yeah, there is yeah. a .NET user group, only one. Okay. And it's relatively small, I think. Mm-hmm. Mostly about, local speakers? Yeah, yeah mostly local speakers. Yeah. Okay. Actually, uh, to the best of my knowledge, people from uh, uh, Romania and Turkey come from time to time, but... Okay. Not much of a community, and we want to build one. Good. And it's working. Actually, the conference is a huge success. Congratulations. Well, you're the judges. <laughs> yeah, no, I can definitely tell you. This is a great vibe. All right, tell us a little bit about Telerik. You guys have been a sponsor of our show for a while. Your company is really growing, isn't it? Yeah. It, we've uh, started in 2002. I and uh, three of my uh, friends founded mm-hmm. Telerik, and... For four and a half years, nearly, we've grown quite a bit. Nowadays, we're 75 people. Our product line has grown yeah. a lot since uh, our first product, the Red Editor, Rich right. Text Editor. Yeah. Uh, last week, on Friday, it, uh, we released our Windows Forms UI huh. toolset. We're about to release a few new products as well. Yeah. And... Uh, Great. It's, it's been a great four years, and I'd like to use this opportunity to thank all people who are listening and who have purchased our tools or supported us in any way. Yeah, well, thank they're great tools. They're great tools, and we, we're, it's a pleasure you know, having you as a sponsor. The, um, you, you guys were one of the first companies doing AJAX tools, well, doing a- AJAX in general, like asynchronous calls yeah. on the web, and uh, now you're embracing Atlas in your tools. Yeah, Atlas is uh, very important in our uh, product roadmap. I don't know whether you know this, but uh, we were the first to release, uh, the first commercial vendor working on the ASP.NET platform to release controls with support for Atlas. 
Right. And it's kind of a great accomplishment <laughs> for us. And uh, we'll continue to work in this aspect and uh, to make the best of Atlas and uh, deliver value to our customers. Can you give us a hint as to what's coming up? Well, we Without have breaking any, any rules. <laughs> we have a product meeting at uh, 3 p.m. today. So uh -huh. if we have another chance to talk, I'll brief you about our plans. But okay. uh, pretty much we're going to see first what customers want and just do what they need mm -hmm. rather than do something on our own. I guess I'm trying to get you to ruin your career right here. Uh, you, you can't tell us, can you? No. Because you, you do have some things planned. We, so we would just tell people to watch, watch the site and listen to the show. I'd be glad to provide more information <laughs> once we have it, guys. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've always been very upfront and honest, but yeah, when sure. I don't have the answers, I, no, no, it's okay. there's no point in misleading uh, our listeners. All right, good. Well, thank you very much. It's been a great conference. And now let's get back to the, uh, to the, the group discussion. All Pass right, it down, down to, to Julie. There's Julie. That was just the transition I was hoping for. Can uh, Sahil brought up Vista, and Sony mentioned Link before, and I've been thinking about futures stuff. And I've been, I was hoping I'd get an opportunity today, and so I snatched the microphone, um, to see if, if, I wanted to take a poll of the audience of all these new technologies that are coming out of the pipes from Microsoft. And please clap. Then the and, radio and clap so will. we can get and and just see which which ones people are looking at, excited about, interested in, and you know if it's silence, then we got to get the marketing machine to work a little harder, right? So uh, let me. I'm I'm doing all this based on the idea that you're aware of the new tools coming out from Microsoft, right? Okay, so um, so maybe we'll just go down down the list, and uh, we'll do it in order of of when things are coming out. So we'll start with .NET. Well, actually, no, possibly before .NET 3.0 will be Atlas, the, the first version of Atlas coming out. So who here is excited about, oh, oh wait, it's called Microsoft Ajax or ASP.NET Ajax, but fondly Atlas. Who is excited about that technology? <laughs> All right. Do some writing, some clapping. <laughs> so Scott and team, I hope you heard that. That was like everybody in the room. Um, okay, so next we'll go for .NET 3.0, which is, um, I did a lot of research to get this all straightened out in my head, what, how all these things fit together. So .NET 3.0 is comprised of four components. One of them we know is Indigo, which is WCF. Excited about Indigo? Awesome. The next is WPF, also known as Avalon. Well, I think everybody's ex no, yeah. Um, oh. Shaking their heads the Bulgarian way. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, and um, Windows Card Space, which is InfoCard, <laughs> and then Workflow. Awesome, very cool. Okay, so then the next wave is will be .NET 3.5. That will bring us. Orcus, that's Visual Studio 2005, a good part of that will be the tools to, to work more easily with all those .NET 3.0 things. So a new, uh, an updated version of Visual Studio. And then some language stuff. Um, Link. Woo, that's me. <laughs> 
sorry, and sit here. What, am I missing something? Well, oh, well, oh, Vista's earlier than, oh, I'm going in order, so my order is wrong? So excited he broke his arm. Oh, yeah, so this new thing, the Windows, you know, whatever, Vista. Windows Vista. So let's just, some of, the, some of the features in there. I like the new shiny screens, like the shiny stuff. Yeah, yeah? Arrow. Arrow? Arrow glass. Okay. Who's interested in that? So has anybody here installed Vista? Any, any Vista bits on any computers yet? Clap, if you have. Cool. So every time I've installed it, the first thing I want to do is check out the Flip 3D. I think that's the coolest thing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the Mac people try to remind me of that. So I get, to, I get to have my cake and eat it, too. Okay, so back to developer stuff. Link, the uh, integrated query in, in, uh, for data access and, and also querying. Oh, boy, we've got to do some work on, on Link. How about the, the other new innovations in ADO.net that are coming out? Oh, is this because you're not aware of them yet? Is booing acceptable? Oh, stop. That was a simple guy. That was Steve. Steven. So is this because you're not aware of it? No, because object relational mapping sucks. <laughs> okay. Are you with me? <laughs> well, there's, there's actually there's more, more there than, than that. Um, and then all the new innovations, a lot of them along the lines with Link, but for C Sharp 3.0... And Visual Basic 9. <laughs> okay, what am I missing? I, I think they're just getting tired of clapping. Ah, okay. <laughs> How many people want free beer? Oh, I'm, All right, I'm, I'm uh, I'm going to splice that in after Visual Basic 9, okay? <laughs> wait, wait, let's, not, let's not forget Office 2007 and SharePoint. And the ribbon bar. I like the ribbon bar. I actually, real briefly, before we move on, want to finally address your question more appropriately. <laughs> and having you messed up the first time. Instead of just having people randomly clap at boring new technology. Because um, I, I think Link sucks, but that's another story. It's Fox Pro for .NET. Anyway. <laughs> See how... It, it, well, you could make a lot of money using dead technology, right? There's a lot of Fox Pro developers, like 12 of them, and they make a lot of money. Because uh, there's 12 of them, and there's 13 apps that they have to maintain. Okay. However, the, the one thing I'd like to bring up is uh, having hired and fired a lot of developers over the last 10 or 15 years is I like to hire a developer first, a language and platform specialist second. So if you learn the fundamentals of software development... Right. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> if you learn the fundamentals of software development, it's going to make you employable no matter what you're using, whether it's Ruby, whether it's Python, whether it's .NET, whether it's Java, whether it's VB, all these language, you know, which is better becomes irrelevant because you're, you're developing in the right way, in the right methodology. As, uh, real briefly to close it out, as my team about five years ago, we were a VB shop. This is before .NET. And... Um, we were hiring a guy, and we hired a guy who had no VB experience, but he was a great developer, and he learned VB very quickly, and he turned out to be one of the best developers at the shop. So you become a good developer, learn the fundamentals of programming, learning algorithms and everything else, then you become a language and platform specialist second. Amen. Uh, we may want to change gears here. If you have some questions, we obviously this is partly a QA panel too, 
So if we didn't answer something along the way today, uh, feel free to put up your hand and, and have us change direction. That's our job, is to, to answer your questions in the end. Uh, otherwise, we're going to wander off into more esoteric topics. Gleefully, mean, I might add. You mean pontificating about esoteric things is not our job? <laughs> no, it's only what we like to do for fun. So I have a question, if you don't mind. Uh, how do you guys keep up with all this tech pace of technology? Ever since I got my Microsoft implant, it's been so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Resistance is futile. Not a lot of Star Trek fans. I mean, one of the things I think we all sort of hit the wall on in the past couple of years is you can't know everything anymore, can you? You know, it's that's, very hard that's to be really past. And hard to accept. Yeah. And it's tough to deal with the reality that we really have to pick a few technologies and that's what we're going to work in. Uh, I think Angus asked me earlier today, so you're a SQL Server guy, right? Because that's all the talks I'm doing here today is SQL Server talks. I was like, no, I actually spend some time in other technologies as well, but SQL Server is what I'm living and breathing these days. And so simply, I simply can talk about more easily than just about anything else. Uh, we end up in our specialties. I don't know what happened to, to Ted. I think he's more... Ted's a mutant. Yeah, he, I think he's more indecisive than anything else. Were you going to pick something here, Ted? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, in, in, in some respects, you know, what, what, what Richard alludes to is the fact that I was doing a lot of Java um, and got into .NET because I happened to be at Developmentor when we started teaching .NET to folks. And, you know, at one point... Don Box approached me and said, hey, help me write the .NET class. I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about COM. He said, don't worry about it, because COM is dead anyway. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in, in some respects, no, I don't want to choose. Because, you know, as, as, as Stephen pointed out, you know, and as the question came, I, it, I don't want to be tied to any particular platform. I don't want to be tied to any particular language. As a matter of fact, uh, Dave Thomas, who's one half of the Wendy's. pragmatic... Wendy's guy. No, yeah, not yeah. the Dave Thomas from Wendy's. He's dead. <laughs> no, Dave Thomas, <laughs> the Ruby Dave Thomas, um, one half of the pragmatic press, uh, the pragmatic programmer, the book that sort of started that whole pragmatic uh, line, one of the, the key principles he suggests in there for programmers to become better programmers is to learn a new programming language every year. Go out and specifically learn a language that you've never seen before, never learned before, because even if you never use that language in production code, it will change the way you think. You will start seeing options that you didn't have available to you before, and you'll start approaching your language of choice, be it C-sharp, VB, Java, whatever, and say, wow, I can do some things here that I hadn't thought about prior to this. Right? I mean, you know, in some respects... Stephen was mocking the Fox Pro folks, but you know I have a very, very good friend of mine who is a you know closet Fox Pro programmer. She she doesn't want the rest of the world to know this, but <laughs> yes, and and she she might be sitting to my left anyway. And one of the things that I have found from from discussions with her and and, and talking about Fox Pro and talking with other folks from the Fox community is there's some really interesting ideas there. Right, Stephen talked about object relational mapping sucks. One of the interesting things that Fox did is they never went down that road because they brought a lot of the relational concepts into the language itself, which I think is something that we could explore more in the world of C-sharp and VB. And I think 
Link slowly addresses some of that, but doesn't go necessarily in the right direction with some of the, the answers they chose. But that is definitely one of those, wow, that's an eye-opening moment when you start realizing that there are better ways we could be doing this. Um, similar for Lisp and similar for languages like Haskell and Erlang and, and, and so forth. They all seem like these dead mathematics professors. I think you're just making up words now. Yeah, exactly. I'm just pulling stuff. You would never know if I was. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, these, these all have interesting properties and they will change the way you think. And so, you know, pick one, pick one at random, if nothing else. Logo. Do the turtle, programmer. right? Just pick one and it will make you a better programmer over time just because you're looking at stuff that you hadn't seen before. So, I, I want to switch gears. I know Steve's got a point to make here, but uh, go ahead and make that, Steve, and then I've got a question for you. Okay. I just wanted to add to what Ted was saying and, and build on what we were talking about is don't become typecasted in one technology. Don't spend three or four years building the Windows form application. Uh, it's very easy to take the knowledge and then go transfer it to ASP.NET. So don't, you know, you don't have to know everything, but choose something, and every year or 18 months, choose something else. Deliberately move to a new project that will challenge you to something else and you'll learn it really quickly. Don't be afraid of it and it will change the way you think and it will change the way you approach the problems that you face. I often I look at it just like spoken languages. I, I know very few people who know three languages. I know lots of people who know one and then a few that know two and then after that, as soon as you learn three, it's like something happens to your head and five is easy and six and then you're just getting weird after that. Uh, but I think the same is true of programming languages. There's an awful lot of people who run around with one language in their head and they firmly believe that's the way. Uh, once you get in, and then the second one, they start hating everybody and everything. Uh, but it's the third one where you sort of break through and you see, hey, there's some commonalities between all languages and that's okay. And there's some differences, and you learn to appreciate those differences for different things. I, I'm curious to know, who here, because I know in Europe they speak many more languages than we do in the United States, mostly one uh, or two, maybe, <laughs> if you live in Florida. But um, how many? who here thinks they speak the most languages? Speak. Raise your hand Human if you languages? think you speak the most languages. Programming. Yeah. Not programming languages. I mean speaking. All right, how, let's do this this way, because nobody raised their hand. How many people speak three languages? And there's a good hand. How many? Leave your hand up if you speak four languages. Three, four, five. How many people speak five languages? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Forte's got his hand up, but I don't believe him. So, <laughs> he knows how to say a few things in five languages. <laughs> so one of the people who raised their hand for four, who were they? All right, you, sir, uh, in the green. What are the four languages you speak? Bulgarian, Russian, German, and... Russian, uh, Bulgarian, Russian, German, and English. And English. Yeah, that's great. And like I said, in, in my country, I barely know anybody who speaks two. That would be exotic for us. Hey, Richard and I are in the Speaker's Lounge with the organizer of DevReach, Martin Kulov. Hi, Martin. Hi, Richard. Hi, Carl. How you doing, man? I'm feeling great. We Show have... is going really well. Yeah, it's really a short time here. Now, Martin has a style about him that you can see he's tense about things because organizing conference isn't easy, but it's the duck look, right? Totally cool on the outside, paddling underneath. Yeah. This was the Academy's first uh, first conference. Tell us about the Academy in general. 
Well, it's uh, actually first international conference for the Academy. We already have uh, guests from Microsoft and International Association for Software Architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the really first international conference with so many international speakers that uh, I'm very glad that you're here, guys, and you made it out for a community in Bulgaria because it really means a lot for us. And Bulgaria is such a fabulous place. We've been having really a great time. You've been showing us everything, mostly the alcohol, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> we were introduced to Rekia, yeah, yeah, and yeah. a few, a few choice curse drink. words. What? Um, tell us about the academy, and what is the introduce people to what you do here? Is it a commercial organization, or? Yeah, it's a commercial organization. Uh, it's part of Bulgarian Association for Software Developers. I see. And uh, we're providing uh, .NET and uh, Java training. But, uh, it means uh, that we are starting this training from the very beginning where the students can, uh, with only basic programming skills, can learn .NET and actually start their work after they complete the course. The course is uh, four months length and uh, it's a uh, mostly evening course with uh, using also the weekends. And it's totally about uh, 220 hours. Wow. With a lot of practice. That's our main goal. Uh, developers should uh, have practice in, lot in order to start work somewhere. So there's working professionals, they're able to, or people that are already out in the workforce are able to get retrained in the evenings and on the weekends to become full-time developers. Well, our model is a little bit different. We we find very good students in the university which uh, don't have opportunity to work because they don't have experience. Right. So we train them uh, this form in this four-month course, and today, then we provide them contracts with uh, our partners. Is there a rising demand for .NET developers in Bulgaria? Absolutely. For uh, for example, if you want to start a .NET company now in Bulgaria, it, it's almost impossible. What we think that we can provide is that we can train a whole team and uh, set up a new company if you if there is a demand for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really the, the staffing problem today in Bulgaria is really big how, how it is in every single country. So yeah. we already uh, did uh, find work for uh, about 100 people for only one year. I and noticed there's a lot of construction going on and there's a lot of companies, high-tech companies moving to Sofia. Is that Yeah, that's true? because we are just joining the European Union. Right. And uh, this that will happen January and um, the re- law system will be equal as the European Union. There will be no visas and it's much easier for us. It's going to make things really easy to make all of that happen. Uh, now, that there's lots of people who want to work. There's just not a lot of strained people here yet. So that lots of opportunity for people to work, but yeah, yeah, not, really, enough, not enough absolutely. skills. So yeah. you guys are in the right place. It's all about the training. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what do you think is the most successful aspect of this conference for the Academy? Well, maybe that's the community impact. Because yeah. uh, the Academy... Uh, in, our idea is to expand the community. That was uh, our initial idea. That's why we started out from the Bulgarian Association for mm. Software Debe- Developers. And uh, we wanted really to provide to make Bulgaria a very good place for uh, outsourcing and uh, for, uh, uh, in general, IT software business. Mm. And uh, I yeah, see SAP that, is here, right? Yeah, absolutely. SAP has more than 300 people here. Yeah. It's and a, how, ma- how many people run through the academy in a year, would you say? Well, for last year, our first year, actually, 
It was, there was about 160 people. Wow. And I'm also curious, how did you find out about us, about .NET Rocks? Was it through our connection with Telerik? Yeah, uh, Telerik uh, also has a very uh, big impact on this event. And uh, with also from the original director program from the MVP, right. uh, I really saw how a community can work. Yeah, it was William Taylor who connected me with uh, all the MVPs and the original director program, and then Stephen Forte took uh, the, his role. And, uh, it, and we're going to try to t- find Vlad before uh, Vladimir before he's the Bulgarian RD. Yeah, it, had you met him before this whole thing started, or was well, this? Absolutely, we know each other. Oh, you know each other. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm unaware. So uh, next year, going to have another show. I'm really committed to do it again. Uh, we received a very good uh, feedback from the from our attendees. They're really happy. That I cannot imagine they could be more happy. That it, and I noticed now. the the president of Microsoft Bulgaria did a did the keynote. Yeah, yeah, with a lot of, of government institutions and associations in Bulgaria, yeah. IT associations. That was great. Yeah. yeah. All right, Martin, uh, you want to say hi, mom, or anything like that? To <laughs> <laughs> oh, just just like, of course, I would like to thank my mom, but <laughs> for making this day uh, possible. Yeah. I would like to thank and to thank the, all the academy team because they did a really great job in organizing uh, this uh, event here, uh, taking care of all the places that we've been and uh, organizing all the all the. Yeah, all the grunt work. Here. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of legwork that goes into making a conference work, and they've done a great job. It looks very easy from over here. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Well, congratulations. Okay, let's get back to the, uh, the live discussion now. Um, Steve. Yes, sir. The, the audience is clearly interested in getting some you know, pointers, career pointers, uh, this kind of stuff. Tell us, tell them uh, a little bit about how you got into programming and some of the opportunities that, that you had. Okay. I, I started out uh, working on Wall Street, and uh, I started out working on the business side, and I had to kind of automate some simple tasks, so I started using Lotus <coughs> macros in Lotus. <laughs> And eventually we got Excel and then Access, and I started automating things that maybe other developers built or other people. I was doing credit actuaries, and I was doing uh, risk analysis, and had to do a lot of automation. So my, my entry into development came really from writing Lotus Script, and then writing VBA, and then writing Access Basic with like Access 2.0. And then eventually started working with VB3 and the JET compatibility layer, and then I realized one day that I was doing more coding than, you know, Wall Street stuff. And they moved me over to the, you know, the, the finance, de- I mean, they moved me from the finance department to the development department. And then I really got my introduction when VB4 came out and started, you know, learning a little bit more about object-oriented and things like that. And that eventually led to the pathway to .NET. So I, I really took an interesting ride. I started from a, a very easy, I call it like, a, you know, they made it easy for me because it was a very simple pathway into the Microsoft environment. Yeah, no, I just wanted to get a couple of stories. Angus, why don't you tell your story of how you got into this Uh, All right, so I was at school, and I said, you know, I really don't want to go to university. What I'm going to do is leave Australia, and I'm going to go to London for a dot-com job, because I was kind of into ASP programming back then. This is uh, indicating my age. But um, so I got to London, and it was at the height of the dot-com crash, and no one wanted to give a 17-year-old a job. 
with no experience. <laughs> so uh, I drank in London and then I went back home. Uh, but basically, I am. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, I think it was four or six months. I can't really remember. But uh, basically, I got a job with a couple of dot com uh, shops in Australia and, and really honed my skills there. And I think one key thing is participating in community. So everyone on this panel is, is really strong in community. We blog a lot, we use news groups, we go to user groups. And that way, if you focus on that, then it starts to build a name for yourself. Participate in things like the, the regional director program or the MVP program. You get a name for yourself outside your own city. You get a, a global name and that way you get recognized. You get things like book offers and, and job offers. And I think that's the easiest way to accelerate your career. Well, certainly the, those spots are reserved for a, a lot fewer people than there are developers out there. Um, but if it is a, it is a good thing to do to be involved in the community. I mean, that goes beyond development and gets sort of into the, uh, dare I say, show business aspect of this, uh, of this business. But, but it is interesting. Kathy, how did you get into this? Actually, um, my ba my ba my background first was being a CPA, which is an, and specialized accountant in the states, and what happened there was there was there was way back in time there were there there all the books were being done by hand, and they were just slowly starting to convert to uh, their business um, accounting to a database or some kind of a, a computerized system. And so much of my work when I went into audit was trying, was trying to work through those systems. So slowly, similar to how, how, um, Steve came in, I worked more in the database style of, like, DBase, FoxPro, uh, started out in Clipper way back when. Woo -hoo -hoo. Love Is my Clipper. Is there any Clipper develop developers out there? I think you're showing your age, Kath. <laughs> Hey, no, no, that's all right. We got some love from the audience. There. It's, all, it's nothing but Clipper love here. It's all good. It's all Clipper, good. That's, that's a ship with sails, I think. <laughs> I think. I think that's how she came to America, like back in the 1600s. Or, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Clipper, of course, ended up in Computer Associates, where all software goes to die. To die, yes. <laughs> it's no more. Oh. <laughs> And then, and then from, from there, um, moved more, um, in the, like, then moved much more into the Fox Pro world because that was about the only one that survived all the D-base, uh, days. And from there really got involved more in the .NET plat uh, platform. Before it was released, I was involved with being, live, uh, I live in the Redmond area and that works out really well with um, being on campus because that's where obviously Microsoft is and so uh, being around uh, being around that influence and um, then slowly moved into the dot the, the dot net side and have been working there but you know I def I definitely agree that that having different backgrounds and not just fo just focusing on one really helped Balance thing, balance things out. It was really hard for me to pick up different aspects of the dot of like C sharp or VB.net because I missed so many aspects that FoxPro brought, and I still to this day feel that those different elements need to be brought in. 
And so much of, for example, the Fox Pro team has been involved and are the critical pieces behind Link and D-Link. They, uh, they're, uh, they're the ones that have, have really been the foundation for that. So, um, you, there's so many influences uh, within the company as well as outside. Very cool. Uh, any last questions that anybody wants to uh, ask the panel? Anything at all? Okay. Where's the microphone? Here we are. Here it comes. Okay. My name is uh, Toma Bosarov. I'm from the Department of Civil Registration. So. Um, I don't want to return you to the starting point about the dynamic languages, but uh, the analogy about uh, speaking languages is not the same as programming, programming languages because uh, we all think the same. We are humans. And uh, programming languages change semantic of the program. We do not map one to another. Uh, what about, uh, what can you say about uh, the declarative wave of language? For example, uh, Wix, that uh, Wix tool set is used to describe setup, or Zamula, that is used to describe applications. Yeah, that's a, that's a big well, can of worms. Well, I would hate to, 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 to be the one to tell you that you're wrong, but you're wrong. <laughs> in this, I mean, the language you choose, right, in terms of the spoken language, frequently, <clears throat> frequently reflects cultural values in a very significant way. Um, for example, I think in the Eskimo language, there are like 37 different words for cold, right? Or, or, or snow. Snow. Snow, that's right. 37 probably different words too. for snow, yeah. right? And, and there's probably 25 for cold. And there's probably 257 for fish. And there's one for hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they never Ouch. use it. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, like, like um, you know, at least within English, there is clearly a, a understood difference between home and house, right? You know, your home is where the heart is, house may be just where you, you know, sleep at night. And those, those kinds of cultural differences sort of come through in a spoken language. So, you know, frequently, spoken language does reflect... You know, you say that we all think alike. I'm not sure because our thoughts are frequently framed by the language that we think in. And this is why we say you don't really know a language until you dream in it. Right? Similarly, in some respects, with programming languages, they very directly influence the way we think. Um, if you're comfortable, if you dream in C-sharp, your first approach to a problem will be, I want to approach this from an object perspective Right? And this is one of the things that, that Kathy and I have, have struggled with, you know, in terms of our debates, because the background that she came from was very database-centric. So she dreams in tables, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that. And that clearly, I mean, the, the, the world that I grew up in was C++ and Java and C Sharp and so forth. You dream in header files? I, I, <laughs> not anymore, thanks. I dream in pointers, right? I have to actually go through several different dreams before I get to the real dream. Oh. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, the, the, the programming languages you choose reflects, because it, it, it just imposes a way of thinking on you, and learning the new language helps you break out of that you know, mode of thought and that, that analytical mode that you take when you approach a new problem. 
So, you know, I'm going to disagree with the basic statement that, you know, the language, the language itself expresses the intent. I'm more concerned about our intent being constrained by the language and being able to break out of that and look at things from different perspectives. So, I, I agree with him, but I want to address your second question about declarative languages. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good step in the right direction. Uh, I don't see declarative languages replacing the non-declarative mode. Uh, I see a combination going forward. Uh, but what I do wish is that the, if, if the IDE supported declarative language is a little bit better than it does today. And unfortunately, it doesn't. But I, I'm hoping that with time that will change. But I feel that there is some potential to that, that arena. There is an oscillation here. You know, we come up, we, we change our minds about ideas. We, we, years ago, the loosely typed languages were very popular, and then we went very strict, and now we're sort of swinging back to loosely again. Uh, you know, it's not like we're going to, this is not a straight line, right? We're, wet, we're wagging around trying to find the best for this week. I just wanted to add to what Ted said is, if you have, if, if you were just a VB guy, and you have 10 years of experience in VB, and you come and interview for a job with me, and you are proud, and you think it's, you're going to get points because you have 10 years of experience, I say you have one year of experience nine times over. I want to see people that, that have multiple disciplines, some people that do have a Java background, have coded in Java, or jo both VB and C Sharp. So that's something to keep in mind of, is understanding and learning and working with other languages will definitely change the way you think and the way you approach the problems. And a lot of people are discovering that uh, Ruby and looking at Ruby is really opening their minds in terms of what the next versions of .NET are going to look like and what's possible with the next generation of .NET languages. And uh, I think uh, it's not just about the programming language as well, having diversity, but knowing about other technologies, other database engines, yeah. other portal products, other office clients. So then you can know the differences and the strengths and the weaknesses to apply those. Or if someone says, is this possible? Uh, or I've got this issue with my current environment, you can explain to them uh, with some knowledge about that implementation. Just to add on that, last year I declared would be my year of being Office-free and IE-free. So I used Firefox and OpenOffice. He <laughs> said I'm killing him. But um, what happens, I learned a lot about the strengths of Office and the strengths of Internet Explorer, and I learned a lot about their weaknesses as well, as well as learning the weaknesses of OpenOffice and Firefox. And I have to say that it has changed my approach to, to using things. And, I, and I, I'm back now. I've back kind of the dark side has sucked me back into using Office. And, uh, not as much Internet Explorer, though. Um, but I, I have started using Office again. And I, I, I don't go into the same habits as I used to when I, when I type something up in Word or I do something in Outlook because of things that OpenOffice and, and Thunderbird and things are able to do and things that they were not able to do. So it's definitely something that will help you. Uh, moving forward. And with that, we're going to have to bring this panel discussion to a close. I'd like to thank the panel. I'd, al I'd also like to thank Martin for putting on a great show. The sponsors, Telerik and Microsoft, and the whole academy team. And the whole Academy team, of course. Thank you and have a great rest of the show.
DotNet Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a-